and welcome back to In the Queue, film conversations with Andrew and Phil. I'm your co-host, Phil, and I am really enjoying late-period Woody Allen cynicism. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Oh, man. Uh, I am your co-host, Andrew, and Woody Allen seems to have become very preoccupied with the role that luck and or determinism (laughs) plays... In our lives. Yeah. It's been a theme in a lot of his recent films. It, yeah, it really has been. And it's such a departure from what he's really known and loved for. But it's it's kind of exciting. It's like a new sort of rejuvenation for Woody Allen's cinema. So I, I'm digging it, even if it's not... It's interesting. Even if it's not as great as his earlier films, it's still, as you said, interesting. Um, mm-hmm. So we're going to be talking about his new film. He puts out a film every two films a year, basically. Uh, this is his... Summer Project, Irrational Man, starring Joaquin Phoenix and Emma Stone. Yeah. And before we get into the film, I just want to tell you guys out there where you can find us on the web. You can go to our blog at www.in-the-q, that's the letter Q, dot com. On our blog, you can find all of our shows. You can participate in the comment section, and you can make listener requests for mute for movies you would like us to review. Yeah. Also, on our Facebook page, just do a search for In The Queue, Q-U-E-U-E. There you'll find all of our shows, again, in the Facebook feed. Uh, there's also a place for comments and requests. And we post videos and other things to comment on whatever movie we happen to be talking about that week. So that's an added Easter egg for you for going onto the Facebook page. Indeed. And then lastly, uh, you can go to iTunes and subscribe to our podcast there. Um, Every show that we've done so far is on iTunes. You can go to the very beginning and listen to us there all the way up to the present day. And we post all of our shows as they are recorded on iTunes twice a week. Yes, indeed. So uh, having said that, let's get into the discussion. Irrational Man is about um, a philosophy professor named Abe Lucas who gets a new professorship at a fictional Rhode Island University and he gets uh, an interested student uh, by the name of Jill played by Emma Stone Um, he it should be said has a reputation that precedes him to this college right they say one of the uh, other teachers is conversing with a, a mutual friend and says that he, he will inject some, inject some Viagra into the philosophy department. <laughs> so, yeah, he's, had, he's, he's known for, for being the, uh, the Lothario and, and um, uh, hooking up with his students. Yeah. 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 So um, it should be said also that this film is fairly evenly about both Abe and Jill, and they come mm-hmm. together and they develop a relationship. Um, at first, Abe is reluctant, but uh, but Jill is really intrigued by this mysterious guy. And we hear both Abe's inner thoughts as well as Jill's inner thoughts. Yeah. So yeah. we get sort of a double insight into both sides of the relationship. Um, Jill has a very loving, stable, all-around good boyfriend. And Abe tries to keep reminder, remind her about this, but she's still fascinated by this older dark brooding mysterious professor and she wants to pursue a romantic relationship now abe actually is not really very good at romantic relationships and especially not now because he hasn't been able to perform in bed for over a year Uh, Mm -hmm. this has been much to his disappointment but 
an existential act happens, <laughs> which causes Abe to develop a, a zest for life all over again and and find his mojo and um, the existential act that happens. Spoiler alert. Um, yeah, big spoiler alert. We're going to have difficulty talking about this film without talking about the act at the center of the film. Right. So if you want to be surprised by that and if you don't want to have uh, kind of what is in some respects a surprise – Spoiled for you, uh, please skip ahead to the end of the podcast or to our next podcast. Yeah. Um, but we're going to talk about that pretty pretty at length in this podcast. So right. keep an ear out. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert once again. Okay, so the spoiler alert is that Abe Lucas murders a man that he has absolutely no connection with whatsoever. But he does it because he overhears a conversation at a local cafe with Jill that there is a judge who is basically preventing um, a woman from getting custody of her children. And mm-hmm. uh, he's just an all-around bad person. And, and that's kind of the impression that forms in, in Jill and Abe's mind. So without yeah. telling Jill, Abe intricately plans out the perfect murder and, and, uh, and executes it successfully the man's he, he poisons the man using cyanide he got from the, the chem lab at the university and um and he's really excited about it and very happy and, and it just kind of frees it, him it up. changes his look on life it fills him with vigor and life yeah where previously there was only ennui that's right ennui and uh jill's horrified and etc and we don't have to spoil well, we do have to spoil, actually, but <laughs> some of it, yeah. uh, some of it, we will have to spoil because because uh, Andrew spoke in the introduction about Woody's predilection for luck and irony versus mm. determinism, and um, the this movie is is enjoyable after it's over. When I, when I watched the <laughs> film, I did enjoy it. I I thought this was interesting. I thought he overused the song the in crowd by half uh because every musical cue that happens in this film is the song the in crowd which makes (laughs) perfect sense to use once because the in crowd could refer to the faculty at this university that abe is trying to get in with uh it could refer to you know murderers or it could refer to any number of things the perfect society that she is a part of, you know, the, her her good family life and her stable boyfriend. Yeah, and it's it's perfect because it's an instrumental, so there's no lyrics to get in the way of your interpretation of the title. Right. But, but he overuses it, and it's a little re- repetitive and a little annoying. But I still like this movie. And but but thinking about the major characters and thinking about how they all kind of. Not all of them, but many of them messed up and fell victim to the traps that they created for themselves. Mm-hmm. It's 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 kind of a bitter perspective on life. And it wouldn't surprise me if Woody Allen is bitter, but it's still very interesting and, and well developed to sort of see these characters like Parker Posey, who um 
she's been having an she's another professor. She's been having an affair with Abe Lucas, even though she's married. And at the end of the film, she breaks up with her husband in the car in a torrential downpour. And what she doesn't realize, of course, is that Abe is about to make a fatal mistake Indeed. and fall down an elevator shaft. And so she's, you know, without a partner because he's Abe's dead and she just broke up with her husband. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I... It's it's interesting because it this is one of those films where you know it's got your typical Woody Allen banter it's got your typical Woody Allen kind of style to it it feels very much like a Woody Allen film there's no question about that mm-hmm. uh, but I found the film to be bizarrely divided into two parts and they it they're roughly separated by this crime at the center of the film right yes and f- I actually w- was finding it very interesting in the the first half or so, because I felt like it was an interesting sort of meditation on the uh, preoccupations of women versus men uh, and how her preoccupations were with uh, him and the way that he thinks and what an interesting and active mind he has. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all this kind of interesting um, sort of, perspective that she brings to to uh her life and her desires in her life and all the while we're getting this juxtaposed with you know uh hearing his inner monologue that is almost entirely about uh committing this act right and being you know doing essentially it's it's uh focused on action and uh and so I thought I saw I thought for a long time that this was sort of a, a meditation on you know women uh, being preoccupied with thought or the the kind of mm-hmm. uh, more ephemeral things in life, whereas man was more focused on the the physical things and the uh, the actionable. Well, things Well, that seems in like life. a very appropriate interpretation. Do you, do you feel like that was not supported as the film went on? Yeah, I felt like after the act was committed, it 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 turned more into a, a drama about uh, him either getting away with it or not getting away with it. Mm-hmm. And as it kind of starts to unravel and she starts to become suspicious of him, it, it became a more conventional kind of, uh, you know, pot boiler in a, in a, a sense, you know, even though it, it, a, a pot boiler from from Woody Allen's perspective, although I, you know, match points are pretty yeah. solid. Pop oh, very much so. And even so, parts of midnight in Paris and, and, uh, you will yeah. meet a tall, dark stranger too. Yeah. Or even going back to something like crimes and misdemeanors, yeah, which yeah. is, which is a pretty, actually this movie reminded me more of crimes and misdemeanors than probably any other Woody Allen film that I've seen. It's fair. Yeah. Uh, cause it, it kind of treads that the same kind of line. Right. Um, well maybe it wouldn't, maybe it was Woody Allen's intention to, with that double narrative to contrast the female and the male perspective. I mean, I could see him, him doing that, but maybe it's just not enough for that to carry the rest of the film, you know, without some other kind of plot device or something. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's it. And, and maybe that I, uh, I found it to be sort of inversely 
proportional to the kind of interest that you tend to have in these kinds of stories, right? Where you sort of start with pretty mundane circumstances, and then as the crimes happen or people are uncovered and intrigue sets in, you become more interested. And I find myself growing less interested in what was going on as the film progressed. After the crime had been committed, I I found it to be less interesting. Well, let me ask you a question about your feelings for the character that Joaquin Phoenix plays. Now, the, yeah. since he becomes a murderer, and we see him methodically planning this, we see his glee after accomplishing the murder, did your feelings towards him as a character change? Well, I thought that he was despicable. <laughs> Maybe that's one reason why you were less emotionally invested. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, his his lack of concern. I mean, I understand that it was in keeping with his philosophy as a philosophy professor and someone who sort of had this very uh, kind of nonchalant approach to, you know, human interaction. Right. Uh, It was in keeping with that. But I found it maybe maybe where I had difficulty was that he was having this kind of existential crisis until he commits this act. And then all of a sudden he is filled with, you know, vim and verve and vigor. And he's, he's, you know, he's able to make love again. And he's, you know, uh, happy, you know, and smiling for the first time in the film, you know? And I find it maybe a little bit strange that his worldview would shift so dramatically without accompanying guilt or shame or anything that came along with that you know like i guess that's the part that kind of well my take on abe lucas is that he's a believable portrait of an academic sociopath Um, yeah a a person who does not feel empathy for others as much as as much as they have their own kind of intellectual island that they stay upon yeah, yeah, like he's worked out the framework of the world and is operating within that and then... And doesn't invest anything yeah. else into it. Yeah. Well, maybe that's why I found him despicable <laughs> as well. Like, I, I, don't, I didn't really like him from the beginning. But to, but to be fair, I didn't really particularly like Jill either. Yeah. I thought but you know Jill what? Was... That's the nice thing about these late period Woody Allen films is you don't have to like them to enjoy, yeah, no, that's, enjoy yeah. the, the dissection of humanity. I mean, yeah. I, what I've noticed about Woody Allen dramas, especially of the past 20 years or so, is his characters face making either a moral choice or a selfish choice. Yeah. And very often it has to do with like an affair, like, oh, I really want to ha- I really want to sleep with this person, but I'm married or I really want to yeah, kill yeah. this person. But killing is immoral. And um right. In in his own life, he seems to have taken the selfish choice, and that he married his stepdaughter, who is much younger than him. So, but yeah. he still uh, he still wrestles with these questions, and so that's it's fascinating to to sort of witness. I mean, notice that Woody Allen he almost never has a close up in his movies. You know, it's yeah. never really about the the emotion or the humanity of the characters. It's more about him as the architect, as the writer, sort of spinning the tale and and his characters... And exploring philosophy, yeah, and his characters get caught up in it. And, um, you know, the, the sort of the, the central irony, which was a little bit too on the nose for me, 
in this film is that Abe Lucas, and once again, spoiler alert, um, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, um, <laughs> Abe, Abe develops this plan that he has to kill Jill because Jill is going to reveal to the cops that Abe killed this person. So he develops this idea that he's going to throw Jill down in an empty elevator shaft. So they're wrestling, and he's trying to get her to, to fall down, and he, he has to push the open button multiple times for the elevator to stay open. But he slips on something, and then he falls down the shaft and presumably dies. And then she picks up the object and kind of looks at it vacantly. And it's a, it's a flashlight that Abe won for her at a carnival. Yeah. And the event was significant for Abe because it was the first time he ever won at something. And, and yeah. it was significant for her because Abe realized she preferred practical things rather than like a teddy bear. She wanted this flashlight. Right. So he goes, oh, you're a practical girl. And it was this object that... Led to his demise. Yes. Or, right, or right. means, Which, if you prefer that. <laughs> it, it, well, it, it, uh, it, it's also in keeping with, I think, what is obviously, or at least seems to be agreed upon to be one of his great later masterpieces, which is Match Point. Mm-hmm. Match Point, I mean, the crux of that film almost completely centers around him discarding the wedding ring. Mm-hmm. Right? His trying to discard the wedding ring and then having it bounce off of the railing and land not in the water, but on land is, is kind of the crux of the entire film because it's, it's Woody Allen basically saying that luck plays a larger part in where people end up in their lives than almost anything else. Yeah. Because that allows that homeless guy to find the ring and then they find it on the homeless guy after he committed another crime. So they're able to tie him to both, you know, to this murder and then essentially Jonathan Reese Myers gets off scot free. Right. Right. Uh, and that is, I, I saw that I saw this as being very, very much akin to that. And in that sense, I, I found it to be fascinating and, and really interesting. I just think that the narrative wasn't as strong as like, I could watch match point a million times and I would find it just as compelling and, and just as, you know, uh, fraught yeah. with uh, uh, you know, tension and emotion. Well, right? just as you could compare this to Match Point, I would compare it to You Will Meet a Tall Dark Stranger um, yeah, because yeah, yeah. the most interesting part of that film happens near the end where Josh Berlin is a failed writer and he reads a manuscript by one of his writer friends and the manuscript is fantastic and then the friend like gets hit by a car and goes into a coma. So Josh Brolin, the failed writer, yeah. decides he's going to use the manuscript and pass it off as his own. And so he yeah. gets it published, and everybody's crazy about it, and he becomes a successful writer. But then it turns out that the other writer, whose name is the unforgettable Strangler, Henry Strangler, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, he comes out of his coma, and that's how the film ends, because you know shit's going to go down. Um, yeah. So Woody Allen is really preoccupied with these existential occurrences that that happen when people make bad choices yeah but it, it's almost as though he is saying that ultimately the bad choices like the those people almost 
he he never resolves their. I mean, I, guess, I mean, I guess in this film he he resolves it because uh, Abe ends up dead. Yeah. Right. But uh, but it, they don't have happy endings. They don't have neat, nice, neat, tidy bows. Well, end, he right? never and has though. I mean. Maybe maybe well, like yeah, bananas or fair. take the money and run, but <laughs> not since then. Sleeper. <laughs> yeah. But I, I mean, <laughs> but if you look at uh, Jill, you know, Jill wises up and goes back to her boyfriend who's kind of yeah, a doormat yeah. now because she's been kind of abusing him, uh, not physically, but she's been taking him for granted. But that to me was, was an acknowledgement on the woodman's part that, you know what, it really is important to be loved and be in a real healthy relationship so many of Woody Allen's movies especially his older movies are about people chasing love objects and and fantasy relationships and things that are not really there but you have these imaginative you know sort of dreams of what they could be but I saw the fact that Jill ends up back with her boyfriend as as a statement by Woody Allen that you know real love is what counts and and it's not about chasing men or chasing women who seem dangerous or brooding or dark or thoughtful it's about realizing that what you have right in front of you is the best thing you can have yeah i i that i <laughs> i sort of agree with yeah. that I think that that may be kind of what he sort of sighs and settles on, <laughs> but I don't know if that's, I think that he is also simultaneously acknowledging that the human, that human nature is not to be that way, right? That catastrophic events have to occur before we actually acknowledge that this is the way that we, it's maybe best for us, right? Yeah. That we have to fail, that we have to have somebody die that we have to have right like it's such a terrible things happen have to happen in our life before we can acknowledge that perhaps there's a better i way. would agree with you on that actually well put and it reminded me of eyes wide shut because yeah. only after nicole kibben discovers the mask and puts it on her pillow and tom cruise sees it and breaks down into tears about what he's been doing, how he's been almost, he's almost been unfaithful to her. And he's, he's had this psychosexual journey. He's, he's, you know, been having this like, uh, yeah, well put. And, uh, (laughs) and then he breaks down and then they kind of get reunited again. And granted, it's not all rosy, but, but they're still back. And I think something good will, will come of it. Just as I feel something good will come of the relationship at the end of this film. Well, but but here here would be my counterpoint to that is that yeah maybe something good will come of it but it's there seems to be a sort of exhausted rec- resignation to that. Do you think fact. that Woody Allen doesn't really believe what I'm saying? No, I think that he may believe that, but I think that he believes more that people are by nature chaotic and cruel and curious and uh, you know uh, vengeful and. Uh, uh, gossipy and I think that he he believes that people are by their nature all of the bad things and it's only through acknowledgement that we don't want to live with bad things in fact I think if if you were to extrapolate this might even be his philosophy on civilization which is that the only reason that good things happen is because of a collective acknowledgement that 
uh, it's they're preferable to bad things. Hmm. Which which also happens to coincide with my worldview to some extent. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if maybe you're projecting a little bit here with your. I with your I don't know because 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 these I mean the even even though you're you're saying that these films end with a, a resolution that says that you know oh this this good good things may come of this it never seems to be happy the characters never seem to be happy in the in the resolution they always seem to be like well i've lived a life and now here i am rather than woof got out of that thank god oh the world's going to be so much better now well okay i mean if you look at what what he said and what he's lensed I mean, he's, yes. he he has said in a quote that a healthy, you know, functional relationship is usually right under your nose. That's, I'm paraphrasing something he said, but he right, basically right. said that um, the people that you're close to in your life are the ones that you should remain close to, and maybe one of them is even somebody that you could love in a romantic way. Look at You Will Meet a Tall Dark Stranger. The people right. who come out on top in that film are the two superstitious retirees who basically are deluded in their, in their beliefs, in their beliefs um, but yet they're happy, and, and they're happy together. Now, that presents a slightly different take on, on how to find happiness in the Woody Allen universe, but... Just because they're not like jumping for joy and and smiling gleefully at each other, doesn't mean that it's not the right thing. No, no, I, and that's not exactly what I'm saying. I mean, that may it may have come out that way, but what I mean is that the the film doesn't seem to regard it with happiness. Like the filmmaker doesn't seem to be looking at it and saying, "Oh, this is this is good. This is right. This is the way things should be." I think that Woody Allen, the filmmaker, in presenting those things presents them as perhaps the next most logical, most intelligent step, but not necessarily it, – it's not presented – like her her resolution by going back to her boyfriend in this film is not presented with the same interest and life and you know vigor that her interest in Abe so are presented you, at any point. So are you point. surmising that if Abe had not revealed to her that he killed that guy and if he had not died – she would still want to be with Abe? No, I don't... I mean, yes, yeah, I think that would probably be the case. But more than that, I think that Woody Allen's statement is that we are hardwired to want this bad thing. And it's it's only through sheer force of will or circumstance that we end up doing the right thing well maybe we just have to make mistakes is what he's saying i mean i i i get your, I get yeah, your point yeah. and yeah. yeah we 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 know these things are wrong for us and yet we still desire them and yes. the only way to cure ourselves of our desire is to try and have them see how bad they are and then discover discover something that's more healthy for us yeah perhaps to a melodramatic extent as in this film right <laughs> <laughs> yeah Okay, well, that I mean that could well be his aesthetic of late. I I feel like I feel like it's 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 cropped up too many times in his recent films for it not to be something that he's at least t- 
toying with the idea of. So that he would, yeah, it's like that you wouldn't see a Woody Allen film about a guy who, you know, gets attracted to a woman that he meets on the subway and he keeps seeing her eating lunch in the same cafe and he's married with kids and she's so gorgeous and she's so alluring and he ends up not ever talking to her and leaves it alone and then goes back to his wife and kids. You wouldn't see that in a Woody Allen film. You wouldn't see that, nor would you see the film where he ends up talking to her and she ends up being just a great, fantastic woman. She would have to be hiding some sort of dark, terrible secret and terrible things would have to happen for him to realize that, oh, I, sh- I was better off with my wife and kids to begin with. Right, right. That's what I'm yeah. saying. Well, I hear, I hear what you're saying. And I have, once again, with this film, I'm always impressed with how Woody Allen can oh, write yeah. uh, with female characters. Um, and yep, he, yep. I mean, even down to the small details, like where Jill is like talking to, she meets one of her college friends and she, and the friend's like, Oh, I like your top. And then Jill goes, thank you. I got it at so-and-so. And then they go on talking about the business of the scene and stuff like that happens. You know, I mean, he has yeah, an ear yeah. for dialogue maybe because of Sunni's friends. I don't know, but, uh, he just. <laughs> She's not that young <laughs> That's anymore. Right now. She's like in her fifties or something now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's he is a great writer. I think he might be the greatest screenwriter in film in American film. Uh, e- even if wow. his movies wow. aren't consistently the best movies, his screenwriting I think is consistently great. Yeah, and and you got to keep in mind. I mean, this guy's made a movie a year every single year for the last forty years now. Yeah. I mean. I don't think anybody has matched that level. Of, well, you know, maybe Reiner, Werner, Fassbinder, uh, who made some 300 films in like 16 years or whatever. 300, really? But so, yeah, so it was something absurd. Are you it counting like, like each episode number. of Berlin Alexanderplatz as a separate film? Well, they were, I mean, he did a lot of television films and stuff like yeah. that. I mean, he did a ton of stuff that he made. I, I might be exaggerating, but it was an extraordinary number of yeah. films. It was one of the highest outputs of, of of filmmaking in a short amount of time. And then he died. Yeah, as far as Americans go, then as far as Americans go, yeah, he's he's pretty much unmatched. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a fascinating movie. I think that the performances are are pretty great across the board. I think Parker Posey is fantastic in this movie. Yeah. Um. Uh. You know, and Emma Stone and and Joaquin Phoenix are both very good. Um, it's getting a really bad uh, ribbing by the critics. Yeah, yeah, it's... and I, the only thing that I can, I haven't read all of the reviews, but the thing that I would probably attribute that to is the, is this sense that I was sort of talking about earlier, it's kind of like uneven feeling, like you're watching sort of two halves of two different movies, mm. um, and I think it makes it feel a little, a little wonky, a little strange. Okay, yeah. Um, but, uh, but I still enjoyed it, I still thought it was fascinating, uh, as most of his films tend to be with the exception of scoop. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's a bad yeah. movie. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, uh, overall, uh, a very interesting film. I think it, uh, it fits right in with the late Woody Allen Canon, uh, as you may have guessed from this conversation, because, uh, it, it, yeah, it's, it's exploring all of these same things. Right. Definitely. Yeah, I also thought it was very interesting. I'd recommend it wholeheartedly to a Woody Allen fan. It's it's a great uh, it's a great sort of trip down 
Woody Allen's mind, and uh, I'm glad that he's still making films, you know, while he's alive, because I'm I'm gonna miss seeing that font one day. You yeah, know? man. And the and the uh, the credits that uh, go card by card instead of rolling. Right, and then the person who gets top billing in Irrational Man is not Joaquin Phoenix or Emma Stone. It's Jamie Blackley, who is alphabetically the first person to be to be named, and he plays Roy, Jill's always, boyfriend. Always alphabetical. Yeah. He always uh, lists his cast alphabetically. The um, Woodman. Yeah, pretty great. Pretty great. All right, so that's our show about Irrational Man. Uh, I think we both enjoyed it and recommend it. Stay tuned for our next podcast, which will be another listener's choice. We're going to have Drew on the program for the first time to talk about the adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension. So stay tuned for that one.